0: We bless you guys in Jesus' name. May he be real to you. Don't grow up to be little Pharisees. Get to know Jesus. Before we, uh, man, I just love God's word so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you to all those who gave their life for us so we could have this book right here. Um, I needed to do a a couple things. Little house cleaning, too. The house isn't completely clean yet, I guess. Uh, one, marriage retreat coming up in October, first weekend of October. God gave me a dream last year about strengthening marriages in the house. They're very serious to Him. Very serious. And so, uh, the marriage retreat, you want to make sure you save the day the first weekend of October and, uh, start saving your money. It's, they've just been, the last couple years have been just dynamic. We'll talk more about that. Um, secondly, I want to talk to you about benevolence, uh, a GBC and how that works. So let me just talk to you on behalf of the financial board, the elders team, the pastoral staff, uh, regarding how benevolence works. When somebody, uh, in our church has a need in a spiritual community where love abounds, uh, of course, the first thing you want to do is meet that need. Uh, and, and that's a good thing. The problem is like many times uh, when the team comes together, the leadership team, I'll be talking about somebody that we've given groceries to or someone we gave money to or somebody that we uh, gave supplies to or whatever or counsel them. And then the, the other person will say, well, I, I actually gave them something too. And then somebody will say, well, actually there was a member in the church and the person approached the person of the church and they gave them something too. And so, And that sounds like a good thing. But the problem is that we don't really know what the need is You don't really know how much the person has received. You don't know how they got into this situation. So we can help them get out of the situation to get their self back on solid ground. It's also not a good stewardship of the resources of the house. So um, what I would like to say is the best way to handle it when somebody comes up to you uh, at the patio or gives you a phone call or whatever. And we're not saying you can't help. You can help whoever you want to help. I'm just saying administratively, the way you can truly help somebody, you know, you know, the phrase feed, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish and you feed him for life. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, shoot. I wish you hadn't, because then I could say I came up with it. But anyway, so that's what we want to do is help people reestablish themselves and be able to be a blessing to others, not just live and survive on crisis mode, right? So the best way to do it is when somebody comes up to you and asks you, and, the, and the, you know, the need is urgent, the need is desperate, you say, well, have you talked to the leadership about it? And if they say no, so you've got to talk to your connect group leader or talk to Phil or Christina Williams who oversees the family needs connection, that ministry is in place for this very thing. We care about everybody. And the leadership will bend over backwards to make sure that every person in our community has their needs met. That's the kingdom of God. So you can say, have you gone to the leadership with it? If they haven't, then you can say, well, let's go talk to Phil. Let's go talk to Jan. Let's go talk to Shelly. Let's talk to Mark. Go talk to John. Go talk to Hope. So you come to somebody in leadership and, and you know, and, and another thing that will happen is it will protect you. Because when you come to leadership, what well, you'll find out is there's maybe a whole boatload of information that you don't have. And so we've got to work together to help meet the needs of the those in the house that uh, have needs. Um, and it also protects The house, if, this is rare, but just as a side note, if somebody says, well, you know, I've talked to the leadership and they don't care, right? And then if you believe that, then you start getting sideways with the leadership of the church. And I guarantee you that's not the case. If it's a need we've never heard about, it's great that it was brought to our attention. And then we can work together as a team to make sure that we do the best job possible in meeting everybody's needs in the house. Can I hear a big fat amen? Amen. All right. Yes. Well, please um, grab a microphone. and Oh, you're going to say it to me and I say it to them? Okay. When somebody has given to a need in the church, <laughs> call one of us and let us know what you gave. So we know what has been given and what is still needed. Great. Feel free to give, but let us know what you did so that we can work together as a team. Amen. Amen. Okay. You guys ready for the word? All right, come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the written, God-breathed, perfect word of the living God that literally changes our lives, sets us on solid ground, Reveals you to us so we can love you, love you, love you. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to Jesus today. Amen. John chapter 1, here we go. So, we decided uh, as a congregation, well actually we decided as a leadership team and then you just came along to study John chapter 1. Unless some have gone to a different church since we started that, then you're not coming along, but I believe better things of you. John chapter 1, and this is the fourth week. This is part 4, and we haven't got out of John chapter 1 yet, and we're going to teach the book. So we'll see if Jesus comes back before we finish. John chapter 1. Ah. It is, I mean, it's just the Bible is so amazing that you can be in John chapter 1, and we could be here a lot longer, but I'm going to do my best to polish it off today, and we're going to get it in John chapter 2 next week, and Pastor Mark will be teaching. So, John chapter 1, today I'm going to title this message It's All About Jesus. Will you say that with me? It's All About Jesus. Say it again out loud. Come on. It's All About Jesus. I'm going to old school today because I left my phone somewhere. I think it's at a music store somewhere up in Ramona, but they're closed on Sundays. And so I haven't had my phone. So I'm going to old school. Do you guys remember paper? This is what it looks like. (laughs) Verse 19 in John chapter 1. Now this is the testimony of John. Everybody say testimony. Testimony. This is the testimony of John. When we talk about what is your testimony, what we usually do, and I'm not saying it's bad, but what we usually do when we say, what is your testimony, we start talking about ourselves. Even this is what Jesus did in my life. And we understand that. I do the same thing. But look at John's testimony. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. And they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. Who do you say? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John's testimony was Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. That was his testimony. Amen. Our testimony is to be about Jesus, who He is. In fact, in the book of John, John is a unique gospel writer because in the other gospels, you see all sorts of uh, miracles, lots and lots and lots of miracles. John's gospel is all about discourse, the conversations that Jesus has with people, very personable, very one on one. And he hand selected only seven miracles in the entire gospel. And he hand-selected them on purpose because each one has to do with an I am. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the living water. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. And John says, he is, he is, he is, he is, he is. If you continue in the book of John, you look at verse 23 and it says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then it says in verse 35, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus and walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then it says, The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Jesus is to be our testimony. And we are to be leading people to him, not to ourselves. Can you imagine John the Baptist? I mean, come on. He was getting pretty popular. I mean, first of all, he's just weird, so that's kind of a spectacle. And, and then he comes on the scene, having lived in the desert. People are like, who's this guy? And then he's preaching with fire. And God had not spoken to the human race for 400 years before God started speaking through John. So this is a spectacle. I mean, John is it. And hundreds of people are coming out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. He has got a crowd. It would have been so easy for John to say, yeah, I got a pretty good ministry going, don't I? I You mean, see all these, look at these, look at hundreds of people coming down here. Wow. You know, we should get some four-color glossy posters. And start putting them all over Jerusalem. Have you seen my donkey? Yeah, I got a new donkey. This, you know, ministry's doing good, you know. And they come up and they say, who are you? Well, you haven't heard? <laughs> they call me John the Baptist. He said, who are you? I said, that's really irrelevant. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's got his own disciples, you know. I mean, this is John's livelihood, it's his purpose. Disciples are following John. He saw Jesus, he says, There's the Lamb of God! And his disciples left John and went to Jesus. And John was totally cool with that. In fact, really happy about it because that was the whole point of his life, that was his testimony. I want my testimony to be, when I meet Jesus face to face, I want my testimony to be, turn around and see how many people connected with Jesus because of my life. Oh, two patty cakers. Come on! And I want to, I want to, and I want to tell you something. This is, I'm really serious about this. I've been pastoring for almost 30 years now. So I'm really serious about this. I've seen enough, heard enough, counseled enough. To know that there are many followers of Jesus who are confused, discouraged, sad, don't know what God wants for their life, don't feel like God loves them. Christianity is so simple. Look what Jesus says to them. And I don't say that to condemn. I'm saying that to try to help all of us. Get back on the simplistic path of having sincere love for Jesus and just following him. That's our life. So, verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, Rabbi. Uh, No, Jesus said, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, bless our lives. We heard you're a miracle worker. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Is that what they said? No. They said, Jesus, where are you staying? That's a great question. Where are you staying, Jesus? Where are you going, Jesus? What are you doing, Jesus? That's what we want to be about. Can I hear an amen? Did I say my message is called It's All About Jesus? He said to them, Come and see. What a great invitation. Come and see. That's what Jesus will always say to us when we say, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you going? he say, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come follow me. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And that was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak following him was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. And I love this. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. No, you didn't. The Messiah found you. Right? that's funny. You go down again. It says in verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. It's just that simple. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom the prophets and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. No, you didn't find him. He found you. Jesus is on the hunt for us. He's calling some of you today. Jesus Christ is calling you to himself today. Not to church, not to religion, not to good works, to him. Christianity is not first following Jesus. It's first knowing Jesus and then following him. That's it. Jesus, John said, the whole message of the book of John is your life is in Jesus. In fact, look what Jesus said in the book of uh, Matthew. I want you to get this up here if you could. Um, my, the book of Matthew. Look what, look what Jesus says in the book of Matthew. If you don't go all the way with my religion, is that what he says? If you don't all go all the way with, say it. If you don't say it again. If you don't go all the way with. Sorry, Jesus. We'll do better. If you don't go all the way with. Me, through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. You see, it is a relationship with the Son of God. Then he goes on to say if your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. That's why New Age is such a disaster. Do you know God slung the stars in the universe, and they actually have the plan of salvation in them? I took a, a course in college, in Bible college, and literally, Job knew about the Savior because of the stars. You read the book of Job; he literally learned about the plan of salvation through studying the stars. The Lamb is there, the cross is there. The Lamb slain, the, lame sl- the Lamb slain is in the stars. Did you? Any of you know that? And so, and and the stars declare the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. You look up, science is supposed to glorify God with what it finds. It's not supposed to remove God from the equation. And so, rather than looking at the stars to learn about God and the plan of salvation, we look at the stars and make them about us. Astrology. What do the stars say about you today? Nothing except you're lost and you need a savior. We make everything about us, 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 us. That's why you're so depressed. Seriously, I mean it. You say, well, what about me? Well, go, let's, let's see what he says. If, you, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you will find both yourself and me. Jesus Christ said that. We invert that thing, which is the problem with Christianity. When I've had people say this to me over the years, well, Christianity just didn't work for me. Like when I'm witnessing to somebody, oh, I used to go to church, but, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Well, guess what? He wasn't working for you. You're supposed to be working for him. That's why it didn't work. I have four disciples. Jesus! Now go. Okay. I really, I mean this like deep to the core of my theological being. This is the problem. You say, well, what about me? I'm going to tell you something. That's profound, but I didn't come up with it. Jesus did. If you and I will focus on Jesus, he will focus on you. That's how it works. He said, Jesus said this, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on, where you're going to go and what you're going to do. Don't fret and worry about these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I will add all this stuff to you. is not a much better plan. It's such a better plan. My wife have been, and I have been doing this before we knew each other. And ever since we've known each other. We are about Jesus. 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 And he has added stuff to us that we could never have added to ourselves. Not to mention the internal peace, hope. I mean, for example, my dad was so rich, I can't even tell you how rich he was. I mean, we got married, and I told my wife, you know, my dad's rich. He has money. And she she hadn't met him until the day before the wedding, and that's a long story. So after we get married, we go to Ohio to visit him. We pull up to my dad's estate with these huge gates with our initials E on the gates, and these gates start to open And my dad's estate opens up that had multiple homes on it. He built himself the largest home in the state of Ohio. And he built it himself because he was a builder. 32,000 square foot home. And that was one home on the estate. They opened it. She looked at me and she said, You told me your dad had money. You did not tell me he has Monday. (laughs) <laughs> well, let me tell you something about money The Bible, the book of Proverbs says Don't put your heart, don't set your heart on money Because it grows wings and flies away And guess what? My inheritance grew wings and flew away She said to me, I would just want you to know I did not marry you for your money And boy, was that tested And there she still is So, ah So, let me tell you something I must be worth more than millions of dollars because she's still here when it left. So look, but here's, here's the point. You're out. But here's the point. Amen. Here's the point. When our inheritance went away, it was disappointing, and we moved on. I have a friend who's in a, uh, an estate lawyer, and she, she says, every time a family comes in and there's money on the table, they fight like cats and dogs. She says, Christian families come in, and she says, I say to myself, this family, the way they treat each other, the way they are true Christians, I believe they're going to do it right. And she says, they never do it right. They end up fighting and clawing and getting offended. And, and that started happening with my family, and Hope and I were like, we're out. You guys going to have whatever you want. We're going on. And we have not missed a beat. And the way we lost our inheritance was unrighteous. But you know, it's like, we forgive them. We're moving on. We, we don't have time for that. God is our source. God will provide for us. And man, has he provided for us. We don't have bitterness, we don't have grief, we don't have anger, we're not offended, and we are blessed, blessed, blessed. The Bible says God will, add, God will add blessings to you, and he will add no sorrow with it. But if you pursue riches, you will pierce your soul and your heart with sorrow. Man, this is good preaching. All right. What about me? Well, look at this. We see Jesus first, and then we find ourselves. That's the gospel. Look at verse 42 in John chapter 1. And, and I'm going to then move from this to a whole other uh, very important truth out of the book of John 1, because I don't want to leave this book before, uh, before we hit that other point. But this whole paradigm shift is critical, as you, I'm sure, are agreeing. Verse 42 and he brought him to Jesus. Um, who was it? Simon. Let's see. It doesn't matter. Somebody brought somebody to Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. And now Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon. Which means a, a, a reed that easily bends with the wind. And Simon had a fishing business. He had his career. He had his identity, his name, his personality. And Jesus said, I know you. I know you. You're Simon. You shall be called Cephas, which means solid, rocky is what he called him. You're going to be changed. Come follow me. When you and I try to figure ourselves out without first coming to God, it will be a wasted life. Because we don't even know ourselves. God knows who we are because he made us. He made you and he has never made anybody like you and never, ever make anybody like you again. So only he truly knows who you are, what makes you tick. You go down in this passage. Well, let's read it. Watch this. Somebody else. Look at this. They found somebody else, Nathaniel, verse forty six. And Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So so Nathaniel's a cynic. He's that irritating friend you have that's always pessimistic and cynical. And they said, Well, come and see. Come meet him for yourself. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said, You are such a cynic. Dude, I don't even like being around you. You're just always negative and it's investigating whether it's true or not. Is that what Jesus said? No. Look what Jesus says. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deception. Jesus said, people think you're a pessimistic and cynic, but I know really what's motivating you. You just want it to be real. Isn't that beautiful? And Nathaniel says, how, how do you know me? <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Nathaniel says, that's exactly who I am, but nobody understands me, Jesus. Jesus I understand you. I made you. He said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. It didn't take much. It didn't take much. You guys know people in your lives who are skeptics? Just pray for them that they have an encounter with Jesus. They just want it to be true. That's what's going on there. That's why you can't live like an idiot and profess Christ because it completely, it completely negates your testimony of Jesus. That's why, I mean, I am, I, am, uh, I, I got to talk, talk about the other things, so I, I won't go there other than to say. I am very astutely aware that every person I come in contact with, I am representing Jesus to them. Which is why I'm so careful on facebook i'm so, oh gosh, so careful of the words that come out of my mouth so careful about the way I treat people okay let me ask you a question if you own a tree and your tree's branch breaks off a massive tree and it breaks your fence and falls into your no I'm sorry and it falls into your neighbor's yard whose responsibility is that? no the law says it's the responsibility of the persons who's Whose, whose yard the branch fell in. Yeah. So this happened to me with my neighbor. And, uh, so I texted him and said, Hey, did you know that your branch fell into our yard? It's massive. And it's the second time it happened. And, uh, so I didn't, I didn't get any response for like three days and finally said, uh, I'm out of town. I'll I'll look at it when I get back. So he got back and I'm waiting for him. I get a text and he says, yeah, that's a big branch. Let me know if you need any help. And I said, how about we meet at the tree in 10 minutes? So we go out there and I said, your your text kind of kind of threw me off. I mean, it's your tree and your branch fell into my yard and you're telling me it's my responsibility. He said, yeah, that's right. That's the law. And so my mom's in there looking at the computer, looking at the actual law. And I said, this is really strange to me. And I'm sitting there thinking I could destroy my testimony right now by fighting over who's tree branch whose responsibility is. I said, I just want you to know that if my tree fell into your yard, I would be cleaning up within 24 hours, but don't worry about it. I got this shook his hand, Said, I'll take care of this. And I walked in the house and I had some people saying, you got to call the police. You got to go for it. You need, I said, I'm no, the Bible says that hope sent me a text. It's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Am I going to lose my testimony So I can win an argument about a tree branch. You're welcome. That I thought about that. I actually had that thought go through my mind. Thank you for the cord of wood. This other thing I want to hit real quick, and I've got to do it very quickly. Gosh, I'm going to do this very quickly. Gosh. Okay. Because I didn't start until 11 o'clock. We got a late start today. So can I have some grace? Mark, tell me how much time I have. No, really? No, seriously. Give me a time. Okay, good. 10 minutes. Can I have 10 minutes? Okay. I I don't know. Was that a sincere no? Was that a sincere no? Uh, no, I'm... I want to I explain to you what's going on here right now. For those that are visiting, we have the joy of the Lord in this church. That's what's happening. We're not nervous in the service. We don't take ourselves that seriously, but we take Jesus very seriously. Amen? Okay. So be quiet. All right. Now, (laughs) this is really important. So the first thing out of the book of John, these are two messages, but I want to move out of chapter one for next week. The first message is, and I want to say this to you sincerely, with all love to you as a fellow believer, get your eyes off of yourself and put them back on Jesus. the peace will immediately be restored and then he will start talking to you and give you wisdom. He'll say follow me. Let's let's go this way. And all of his paths are peace. That's what the Bible says. The, all the paths of wisdom are peace. You're frustrated because you're so locked up in your own frustrations. So John the Baptist says to these guys, "Uh, I'm not the Christ. They said, who are you now? The Pharisees, and I'm going to close with this. The Pharisees who were the religious authorities in Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of religiosity at this time. They defined the Jewish religion, which is Christianity hasn't been birthed yet. So Judaism was like the power, religious power center. And the Pharisees were the administrators of it. The priests and the Levites were the ones who were shepherding the people and teaching the Bible. So the Pharisees sent the Levites and the priests, the pastors, to John the Baptist saying, who are you? John the Baptist said, I'm not the Christ, but there's one standing right in the crowd that you you don't even know him. You don't even know him. In fact, they ended up killing him. It was the Son of God. They had a relationship with their religion. And when God, the God man, when God came down in the form of a man and stood in the crowd, like physically in the crowd with them, taught on a daily basis, healed the sick, raised the dead, had wisdom to the point where they stopped asking him questions because he was so full of wisdom. They just The lawyers and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they kept trying to trap him and he just kept doing circles around them, and they finally stopped asking him questions because he kept humiliating them in public. These guys controlled the human race with shame, with guilt, with religion, with rules. They, had, they, they were the power center, man. They controlled everybody. And Jesus comes along, and he's bringing freedom. I mean, it's just amazing hanging out with prostitutes and drug addicts and, and tax collectors and the worst of the worst and people that not, aren't even going to church and aren't even tithing. And Jesus is at their house having dinner with them. How dare could he hang out with these sinners? They hated him. And John says, he's God. And you guys can't even recognize God right in your midst. So I want to tell you a story. I ended up being grafted in as the apostle of an organization of about 75 churches down in Mexico. And when I went down there, they were so religious, you can't even breathe when you're in the room. I mean, their rules and their regulations, the way they dressed, the way they worshipped, the what they taught. The whole thing was just so... It grieved me. I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? After about five years of going down in there and serving, giving money, food, paying things, preaching, teaching, the Lord said to me, there's a religious spirit in this organization, and I'm going to use you to drive it out this weekend. I'm like, Mark's available. I don't even want to go down there in the first place. This is horrible. What does that even mean? What's that even look like? So I get to the Tijuana, Tijuana, Air, Tijuana Airport, Tijuana Airport. Mario, who has our sister church in Tijuana, and he and I travel all over the Mexico together through these churches. I get to the airport and I said, what did Jesus want you to teach this weekend? And he's going to do the youth. He said, I'm teaching about how Ananias and Sapphira lied to the leadership of the church and the Holy Spirit killed them. So the next generation, the youth, picked them up. It says the young men picked up their dead corpse and, and buried them. He said, I'm going to teach about how um, the next generation is going to throw out the old generation because they're not going to move with God. I said, oh, God, thank you. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. When you're preaching, I'll be out front with the car running. And when I'm preaching, you be out front with the car running because I don't know if we're going to survive this weekend. And I'm going to tell you, I preached. I have never felt up to that point or since the anointing like I did that weekend. I was preaching on grace, 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 grace. And I even used this illustration, and this is important to hear. I used this illustration. I said, what if, I talked about how Jesus led Matthew to the Lord. Matthew was a tax collector, and uh, he was just, all of his friends were sinners. And he got saved, he threw a party, all these sinners come, Jesus goes to the party. I said, what if you were walking down the street, and you saw your, through the window of a house, and you saw a party going on, like a party going on, and you saw your pastor sitting at the kitchen table. What would you think? How would you spread that news? Okay. After I preached, the next night, a preacher from Argentina came. He's overseen 100,000 believers in Argentina. He's preaching. I'm sitting on the stage with the president of the organization that I am the apostle of. And the preacher from Argentina said, what would you do if you were walking down the street and you looked at the house, there was a party, and you saw your pastor sitting at the kitchen table? And the president and I looked at each other and just went. I mean, I've never heard God speak so clearly. After the weekend meetings, I always meet with just the pastors alone. There are about 40 pastors. We're all sitting in a circle. I've been serving there for five years at this point. I said, let's pray. And they all went. <laughs> Stop. Right, this is my weekend. I can do this now. Up to this point, I've just let it go on because I'm serving. I said, Stop! I said, What are you doing? What is that? <laughs> I said, Well, you know, you said to pray, so we're praying. I said, That isn't praying. That's, that's, that's begging. That's groveling. That's, that's like feeling like you don't, that you have to earn, you have to get God to like you. And so then I started teaching them that you're not beggars. I never beg God. I'm a son. You're a daughter. We go straight to the throne of grace and we talk to our dad. I started teaching on sonship and daughtership. The anointing on me was so strong. When I got done, I said, I got to go. I went out into a cow pasture and just started walking around. Just to be alone with God, because I felt so close to him as my dad and me as his son. The anointing was so strong. I've never felt it like that before. The revelation was so clear. Later, the hotel said, Mario, how did it go after I left? He said, after you left, one of the old men who'd been in the organization, you know, for 50 years said, I reject the teaching this weekend because the pastor's wife from Argentina was wearing earrings. Another old man stood up and said, I agree. Another old man stood up and said, I agree. Mario, who was born in the organization, grew up through the youth group, and now is number three in the organization. He's always respected the older generation. He stood up and said, I rebuke all of you. He said, you can't even recognize the voice of God because of your religion. It took a number of two or three more years before those who weren't going to follow the message of Jesus and the message of grace to leave the organization. I tell you more, it's pretty dynamic, supernatural stuff. But right now, next time I went, about three years later, I went down there. The youth, all the old people were off the stage. Sorry, Mark. And the youth, all the teenagers were on the stage leading worship. Man, the place was rocking. There were teenagers everywhere, and all. I mean, it was the place is vibrant. We're birthing new churches, and oh, it's just so, so full of life now. This is what John the Baptist was saying. You can be so committed to your religion, you miss God. And I don't want that to happen here at the Gathering Place Church. I don't want it to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to my kids who are growing up in the environment, thinking they know God, but all they know is church. I've been praying from day one that they will meet Jesus for themselves. So that's what happened to me. Let's all stand. I'm going to let you guys go. Get your kids. Not amazing, Mark? There's one among you you don't even know him. You can't even recognize God. It's been happening ever since. It's been happening ever since. The leadership's passion to this church is that you and we all will know Jesus and follow him every day. That's Christianity. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit illuminates Him to us. Everything you know about Jesus was a gift from the Holy Spirit. You just close your eyes, as palms, face toward heaven. And just say, Jesus, I need you. Come on, come back to Jesus. Come on, church. Say, I need you, Jesus. Reveal yourself to me all over again. I don't want to be religious. I want to know you. I want to follow you. Whenever I'm talking to somebody, I imagine Jesus right between me and that person. Just say His name. Just say Jesus. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, illuminate our eyes and our hearts To Jesus all over again. Restore our first love in this church. Jesus, we ask that you forgive us for making it about everything else but you. You're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. He's calling you this morning. This message was for you. He is the answer to your life, He is the one. And the only one who can forgive you of all your sins, and he will immediately if you'll just turn to him. If you're ready for that, will you raise your hand right where you are and just say, I've never given in my life to Jesus, but I'm ready to right now. I need my sins forgiven. I need to come to Jesus. He's calling me. I can feel him in my heart. If that's you, will you raise your hand right where you are so I can see it? you're a believer... And you know that you've made it all about other things other than Jesus. And you're just coming home. Just ask the Lord right now. Just ask Him, say, Jesus, will you restore my first love? It's right there to say, Jesus, restore my first love. Restore my first love. Bring me back to the place where we first met. Let me feel that again. I want to be re-inspired around you all over again. Quit pursuing myself, I'm going to start pursuing you again. sing one song, and it's going to be our, 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 our exit today. So Kirsten's going to lead us in just this one song. Let's just sing it in one voice, one heart. I believe the Lord gave me a word of knowledge that someone, that, probably more than one, you have an offense that you have not gotten over. Maybe that's why I told you that message about my neighbor. Somebody's offended you, and you're just not getting over it. I'm telling you, that that will that will cramp your spirit, and you you won't feel the peace of Jesus in your heart. Because Jesus has forgiven you from all your offenses. If that's you this morning, give the offense to God. Say, this is on you. This is on you. I I just got to come back to Jesus. I'm not going to worship an offense. I'm going to worship Jesus. If that's you, just do it right now between you and him. I'm letting go of that offense. Letting the person go. Who cares if I get ripped? Who cares? Letting it go. I'm getting my eyes back on Jesus.